Welcome to The Catalyst, where we explore creative ideas to spark innovation in an unhealthy healthcare system. I'm your host, Dr. Lara Salyer, a physician and mom of three who is reimagining the way I practice medicine after suffering and overcoming burnout. Join me as I teach you how to optimize flow and catalyze your own revolution in healing. Tune in for candid conversations with leading experts in conventional and holistic healthcare who dare to believe a better future is possible for all of us. Life is made of teeny catalytic moments of immense impact. When strung together, the transformation is magical. Join us and let's color outside the lines. In this episode of the Catalyst Podcast, you get to meet Cheryl Passwater, who's the chief fermentionist of contraband ferments and a functional medicine practitioner. She's an educator, a health coach, a sous chef, an artist, a writer, and basically an extraordinary human. We talk all things play and creativity. You'll hear about her journey as an artist in residence at a Brooklyn hospital, as well as her own struggles with chronic health issues that led her to be a functional medicine practitioner. It's amazing because a lot of these tenants are true. We talk about how our world would be better if we all were curious and open-minded and learned how to prioritize play and creativity as the way to process emotions and feelings when we can't find the words. So enjoy this impactful interview with Cheryl and continue coloring outside the lines as we catalyze a new future for all of us. Oh my goodness, Cheryl Passwater. I have been so excited for this discussion. You know, for those listening, Cheryl is one of those people that kind of sits in the background. And then when you start talking to her, you realize the 20,000 leagues under the sea depth of experiences and life. And I just was excited to meet you at SAFM, the School of Applied Functional Medicine, when we went to the gathering in Austin, Texas. And you had me at art therapist, oncology. I mean, you had all these words that I was just like, what? You've done all this. So without further ado, please introduce yourself, Cheryl. Um, well, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, my name is Cheryl Passwater. Um, oh, how do I describe myself? Um, I'm an artist by first probably trade and wave of life. Um, creativity is sort of the heartbeat of my everything. Um, but then on my own healing journey, I fell into um fermentation and started a fermentation company called contraband ferments and eventually I was teaching so many fermentation workshops a year um, but I was spending um, really an obscene amount of time at the end of every workshop helping people try to find good practitioners dealing with their gut health issues um, and eventually I ended up getting into health coaching and herbalism and some various things. Um, but, um, and that really led me into functional medicine and sort of making a full leap into um, health and wellness and helping people on their own journeys. I love that. What I love most about your journey is that you have so many different interests and you were able to just sort of overlap and align them. And, and this is where I think a lot of us get stuck. We, we sign up for a career and think, okay, that's it. And yeah. like, you don't realize you're a whole person with a bunch of other skills and interests and you did what I love, which is overlap. And like, what else am I, I'm interested in fermentation. I'm going to teach these workshops, you know, and then you folded that into your own health journey, because that's the other thing we like to slice and dice and separate our work and life. 
But mm-hmm. you know what? We're humans showing up to work and we have symptoms or illnesses or thoughts. And the fact that, you know, we can dissect that down and incorporate that into our life's work and our passion. And it obviously has instilled in you this really amazing desire to help others through gut health. And then it led you to functional medicine. And I love your, when we talked earlier that you said you were drooling over functional medicine and finally it was like, okay, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to go through the training because it yeah. is important. It is so important to not only fuel our body, but just realize that there's so many other aspects of healing. And, you know, you, you kind of embody that, that whole alternative persona of, you know, looking out of the box and not one person has that answer. So w- would you say, what would be that one catalyst moment, that teeny little moment? And I want you to describe it in your beautiful artistic brain that you have. Like, I'm talking like, do you remember a moment? Where were you? What were you doing? What were you eating? What were you sitting? Where were you sitting? What was that moment when you realized something had to change? Well, change in which way? Ooh, I love that. Okay. Maybe I should rephrase. What was that moment that just prompted you to either think differently? It was a catalyst for you to say that something had to change, whether good, bad, whatever, just different. Yeah. Well, I think for me, and I think this is maybe that what makes me a little different also though, is that I've always been a different thinker. Love it. So, you know, like I think growing up being insanely creative and always having, you know, like I remember the pivotal moment of like being 12 years old and it was the end of sixth grade standing in the art room, going back to pick up like my final projects or something and the smell of the room and having this moment of being like, I'm going to be an artist. And that was it. Like, that was it for me. Like I knew, I always knew what I wanted to do. Um, however, um, you know, while, uh, how do I phrase it? You know, it was like going through, you know, art school, going through having a full-time art career in my twenties, um, leaving and going to graduate school and doing a dual master's degree and leaving graduate school and then becoming very sick um, was, I think, kind of the biggest shift for me. And really, I think that shift came probably six months after that, where I realized I was just sort of being shuffled around the allopathic healthcare system, um, you know, and to be very clear, not to poo-poo that system, like there are some amazing parts of that system and there are a lot of broken parts of that system. And I was unfortunately being shoved around the broken parts of that system and I wasn't getting well, like I was being band-aided and I wasn't really being heard and, you know, sort of having this aha of like realizing nobody was thinking out of the box, thinking of it like art, thinking of it like creativity and like nobody's trying any other way of helping me get better they're just putting me on more inhalers and more antibiotics and more steroids. And, um, that really, uh, perplexed me. And then I remember having, you know, another kind of big aha was when I got into fermentation and I was subletting an apartment that summer. And I remember I was, uh, my person I was subletting from left her big kombucha scoby behind. And she was like, you know, make kombucha if you want to. And I was kind of like, okay, like 
That's awesome. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Whatever. And, um, but I was reading a lot of like, you know, Sally Fallon and the China study and like just all Michael Pollan, all kinds of stuff that summer. And I remember one night and it was like, 98 degree New York City, Brooklyn apartment. You're just sweaty and smelly, you know, all the time. Can't afford to run your air conditioning, you know, just like <laughs> awesome. The, yeah, the whole deal. And I remember I was reading my book and staring at this kombucha scoby and having this epiphany like, every culture in the world ferments food but us, but we're the sickest. Like, and just these series of patterns that I kept noticing on my own healing journey like observing other people and realizing like, why is everybody so unhappy? They commit to one thing. Like, why? <laughs> you know, and like, this doesn't make sense. Like, why are we all so like, we're all sick and miserable and a broken system and yes. there are chemicals in water and spraying us and our toothpaste is toxic, you know, like, and having this real like, um, existential crisis in a way, but it wasn't even like an existential crisis necessarily. It was, it pissed me off. Yes. And you use that anger for like good change. I love that. As many artists do, right? Right. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and see, this is what's brilliant is you have hit on the, the defining features of a creative mind. And this is where I like to debunk that idea that it's only the gifted or only, you know, talented people that are creative. I think we're all born inherently creative. We're all, I mean, look at kids. Kids are very open and curious. Those yeah. are the two hallmarks of a creative mind that's able to think divergently like you did, like thinking out of the box, coloring outside the lines, thinking divergently. Divergently, um, you're open and you're curious, and you had pattern recognition. So here you were with this, you know, kombucha. You're like, okay, I guess, you know, but you're curious, like, well, if other countries do this, and then you notice the patterns. I mean, that's what a creative mind does. And right. in our system, we sort of train that out of us as medical practitioners. We train to recognize patterns in symptoms and match. And yes, there's those kind of ideas that we do treat and label and diagnose, but then that's it because simply our system is difficult to think out of the box. You don't get rewarded for that. You don't get compensated. Not that it's all about compensation, but you don't have that ability. It's almost like we need to recognize multiple healing systems, which you've talked about. You know, it's not just the allopathic. It's, it's not just the evidence-based that's proven because there's so much power in stuff we can't measure, you know, intuition, yeah. thoughts, uh, mood, you know, limbic system, dysregulation, all these things are wrapped into healing. And then we talk about our ecosystem in our body. Like you mentioned the microbiome and, you know, this is the coolest thing that you've wrapped all your creativity around this awareness and you brought it together in this cool package of, Hey, I want to do something different. So tell me, what would you like to, what are you curious about now, as far as where you want to lead this, this training for SAFM and how you want to be a, a practitioner? Tell me more. You know, I'm really passionate about filling gaps within the system. And what I mean by that is I've been the poor person. I've been the person who was chronically sick and had nowhere to live, you know, and and I was telling a friend recently, I was like how, you know, I was like, I had nowhere to live for a year and yet I stayed on a candida cleanse. And I was like, I was so committed to getting well Wow. that I was willing to give up my housing <laughs> because I couldn't afford to do both. And yes. I, you know, it's like, um, and I think while 
I fully, you know, full heartedly believe in functional medicine. I think it's magical, magical and um, the way forward in a lot of ways. It's not attainable for everybody. We have a really um, chronically deeply broken situation happening. Um, and people don't know they don't even feel well, they, that they don't feel well, right? That they, you know, and it's like, they're like, no, my gut's fine. And I'm like, yeah, well, I was that person too. I thought oh my, my gut was a-okay. <laughs> it turns yes. out it's not okay. Uh, yes, know? yes. You're so candid and you're absolutely right. It's that somatic awareness that we've lost. We've kind of lost touch with our body and we don't realize like when your thermostat is set in your house and you really don't ever move it and you don't realize someone's sort of moving it up a notch and suddenly you're sweating. And then you're like, wait, what happened? And it's like been slowly going up for like a year, you know, very similar. And so when I'm sure you had your experience, like many patients do when they start to feel better than they thought they could. And they're like, wait, what, this isn't my baseline. You mean I could feel better than this every day. That must've been so empowering for you. And wow. So gritty of you to say, I am choosing health over some of the other, you know, tiered Maslow hierarchy of needs. And I agree with you. Functional medicine is way too inaccessible and expensive in general. In fact, I think I read somewhere that the average hourly cost is like $667 for a practitioner's time. That's insane. That's not going to change the world. And I also believe that's why you're at SAFM because their core values are so similar to driving this functional medicine to the masses with embracing this change in doable ways, tiny little catalytic changes that don't cost anything. Um, if you were to share your most impactful, like free, no cost things that you would tell, you know, a future patient, what would you say? Well, I think it's think about how everybody else has always lived before technology (laughs) and before, you know, having car access all the time. Like, you know, think about everything pre 1980s, pre 1950s TV dinner, you know, like, but it's like this idea of just like move your body. That doesn't mean you have to have a gym membership. It doesn't mean that you have to go running like happy movement, dance it out the three songs at the end of the day, (laughs) you know, love this it is for you. Or, you know, like there are some, you know, things like, yes, like upgrade your food as much as you can afford to, um, you know, and you know, there are some bigger investments that we, you know, I think are great things that we can all make, like filtering our water and stuff like that. But there's a lot of really great um, low-hanging fruits, if you will, um, that are just our day-to-day, like practicing mindfulness or, you know, disconnecting from, um, you know, the things that make us a little crazy in our heads, you know, making time for creativity. Maybe it's um, trying something new. Maybe it's finding a, you know, group. I have a friend who plays Dungeons and Dragons every week. Love it. And that's like his happy space. And I was like, you know what? Rock on. Rock yes. on. Yeah. Exactly. Like, um, and you know, I think we we just we've gotten, I think, so detached from I need to be doing all the things. I need everybody to be pleased all the time. I need my spouse to be pleased. I need my kids to be pleased. I need my boss to be pleased. You know what I mean? And I'm like, so we're just walking around pleasing everybody everybody else, but what oh. about ourselves? Girl, yes, you just hit the golden buzzer right there. I feel like, and and I talk about this a lot, like we are entrenched in this codependent system, not just in medicine, but in this American society where we're hyper-individualistic, yet 
we're codependent. So like we want to do all the things and we have this perfectionistic attitude that it has to be all or nothing, very black and white cognitive distortions that we're so comfortable with. Well, if I can't run, I'm just, I'm, I'm not going to make it to the gym today. Then I'm just not going to do anything. And what about the happy movement? I love that you said that happy movement. What, and, and that's sort of my tagline is create happier, whatever it is, create happier doctors, happier nurses, create happier life. I mean, we're here to enjoy our time on earth and find movement that feels good. Right. And, and ground yourself in that and be unapologetic about doing something for you that moves you forward in whatever level you are, instead of this codependent people pleasing. I feel like everybody's turning into Midwest nice, you know, trying to read between the lines. I, I so, I so agree. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And novelty talk about new things. Again, this is very creative driven and it sparks that creativity when we try new things. I think, do you think, um, do you think in general people are just fearful of trying new things? Or do you think like, for example, the invention of Google has made information so accessible that I wonder, and this is what I think, I'm curious your thoughts, when people try all these new things and then nothing happens or they don't feel better, do you feel like they're a little bit distrustful of information? I think that it's a combination of fear. Fear is the destroyer of everything all the time. So there's, there is some of that. Um, but I think there's like the fear of the letdown being like, there's not some great extravagant thing that is at the end of the thing. Like you can't, like, I remember being a kid. I mean, I'm a child of the eighties and like, you know, every day my mom would be like, you know, and you know, I give her full, full kudos for this and be like, go outside and play. I don't remember points in my childhood where it was like, I was um, obsessed with like the outcome of something. I needed to get something out of it. I constantly was like playing in the dirt, covered in microbes, yes. you know, like the, like this, you know, pig pen was all me. Um, but also like drawing on walls and making stuff. And it was just like, go play, show up in a few hours. You know, I've been rewatching or I've been watching the new season of um, Stranger Things. Me too. Yes. Oh, yeah. So good. And you know, and it's, but there's this thing about, I'm like, yes. Oh, I like, okay, same. I, every time I was just watching it yesterday with my daughter and actually my whole family and we were watching and I just, my, my son who's 12 looked at me and goes, mom, is that how it was when you were a kid? I'm like, yes, Yes. there was no cell phone. You had to lift the phone off of the wall to talk to somebody. And yes, you didn't know where your friends were. You had to find them. You didn't have snap map, you know, and that glee of just being bored for boredom's sake and how that just wakes up your innovation of like, what else can you do? Right. Right. I think we need that. We need to be comfortable with being bored. I think because of our technology gearing us to be scrollers every 90 seconds and our attention span Mm -hmm. is shrinking, like we expect this, like this epiphany, okay, well, what's the production? What am I going to get out of it? Like, maybe, maybe we can just, like you said, paint for painting's sake, which I think you commented. I just discovered Aviva Gold's book, the whole uh, you know, painting from the source, which is literally just making a mess on a canvas and then seeing what happens and kids do it. Why can't we train ourselves to do it? You know, well, we've lost the inability to play. Yes. Like, and you know, it's interesting. I mean, I've done interviews in the art world about my own artwork on this before. And I'm like, we have completely ventured away from process the willingness to touch, 
the willingness to make mistakes, you know, the willingness to actually play. Like when do we just get enjoyment of doing something without it having to be like the outcome is X, Y, and Z. Uh-huh. And like, it's, it's, it is a service. And, you know, it's like, um, you know, I've been, a, I was a teacher for almost 25 years um, and I still teach um, part-time. And, you know, what I've really learned is I'm like, wow, even the kids don't know how to detach. Now, some of that is because between, I think it's the ages of four and six is when you have the highest ability to change how they think critically and Ooh. to teach kids to think out of the box. That's why early artistic intervention is so essential, right? Like, mm-hmm. and like when I say like artistic intervention, I mean, it's not the sun is yellow in the corner and the greenest grass on the ground. Who says? Yes. <laughs> you know, and like this, like there are no mistakes in art. I love that. You know, philosophy. And so, um, you know, it was the thing that I was pushed when I was as a teacher and my students. And when I could get kids at a younger age, I could get them out of that box completely. I remember one of my students um, a couple of years ago, his mom sent me an email and she was like, I have to commend you because she's like, we went to the art museum and she's like, you know, and we're getting nuggets of what he's getting in art class. And we walked into the art museum And I watched my seven-year-old put the curators to shame, (laughs) like just because he could talk about art and think completely out of the box. He was just like, I wonder how this was made. I wonder if it was this material, this, but it didn't matter. She was like, there was like, no, there was like no stop button because it was endless possibility. That's beautiful. Yeah. And the curator is being like, well, what, what is this child? What are you doing? You know, how are you getting this? You know, cause we don't normally see this. Um, and I think it's too bad because it's like, that stuff follows us through our adulthood. Um, and, you know, and I've spent a, a good portion of my life also teaching adults and working with adults in all kinds of different situations and places. And, um, and they, they have the same thing, but it's like, their mechanism is just like this hard stop. I can't do it. I'm going to fuck it up. Yes. <laughs> oh gonna... my gosh. And like, yes, it's that whole disconnect of, oh my gosh, you're having me do something uncomfortable. Like right. I'm not really good at it. That's the first thing everybody always says. I'm sure they would say to you, well, I'm not, I'm not a draw. I don't know how to do it. No, nope, I'm not asking. Like kids don't ask that. Kids don't say, well, I'm not an artist. I don't know how to draw. They're like, oh, experience. Sure. Give me something experiential. And they're wanting to get messy. And you know, yeah. they don't have that fear early on, but all it takes is that one teacher, we've all had those experiences that might, you know, have a little critical eye or something or a parent yeah. or a, a, a friend or whatever saying, Oh, that, what does that mean? I don't understand. That's ugly. And suddenly kids realize, Oh, wait, I have to produce something that is pleasing to other people's eyes. I didn't know that, you know, and then they become locked in this fear of something that is ugly. And when you did your work, I'm sure with adults, you did this on the oncology unit that must have been rewarding, I would think to tap back into that kid, you know, ability to just do something for, for just that experience sake. Can you tell me more about that? (laughs) So I worked in oncology for 10 years as an artist in residence. I'm not an art therapist, um, um, but I was an artist in residence, which is a little bit different and way cooler if you ask me. Um, so, you know, I had a, a great gig, um, 
And I was working in different hospital systems in New York City. And my job was um, typically was outpatient, but occasionally I worked in an inpatient or like radiation, various parts of the hospital. But, um, you know, my, my job was to <laughs> have this, I mean, it was really cheesy, like a cheesy, cheesy art cart sort of thing. But I would wander around the hallways of the hospital trying to get people to make art. <laughs> that was my job <laughs> description. Oh my gosh. Like it's just, I mean, and because I'm a talker and I'm a total social extrovert, I mean, it was like, I was great at it in the sense of like, I mean, I'm just like, cool. I'll just w- sit down next to them and be like, start a conversation and then try to get them to make something. Oh my um, gosh. And you know, for some people are like all about it. Some people can like, they realize like they're anxious and they just like come up, they're like, do you have any yarn? Do you have like, do you have anything, you know? Sure. Like, um, you know, other people, you know, will resist you and, you know, not want to do it. Um, but I think, you know, that journey was fascinating because what I really learned was you will get people who will say no to you every day or every week for a year, a year and a half. And then all of a sudden one day, it's a yes. Yes. Because they see you working with other people. They oh my gosh, that's pause. That is amazing right there. <laughs> people, you are saying the nugget of everything that people will say no for years. And this goes for anybody, even in private practice or anything. You know, yeah. if you are so driven enough that you're passionate about something and you just show up as your unique self, excited, doing your purpose, your mission, you're going to get a lot of no's. And sometimes that turns into a yes. I love that. But also how much, how much of this mimics like also our healing journeys? Yes. You know, I mean, the parallels are completely there and, you know, you see people who I remember this guy, he was a little unruly, like a little, like his personality was a little aggressive. I think maybe he had some mental health stuff going on, but you know, he would come in and like, as ad, like, I mean, I'm, as a snob in my own artistic ways, I, that I, I have my moments, um, you know, I was pretty anti like the jewelry beating, whatever, but I also recognize like some people love that. And I'm like, if that's your gateway to Zen and doing something that's going to help you take, take all the beats. I don't care, you know, like all good, but he would come in and what he got super into making bracelets, like obsessed with making bracelets, this big burly dude who was like kind of scary. And he would, and I remember one week they was really busy. He had been waiting for, you know, oncology gets backed up, but I mean, it had been like really a brutal day and like hours and he was losing his marbles, like, because he didn't have his beads. And the nurses being like trying, and I was just like, finally, and me coming behind, but like, no, no guys, like, and they're like, shh, like artist lady, go away. Cause you know, and you'd be amazed how many of those people, like the doctors and nurses are not for the artists. Like you're coming in here and you're like in our way, you're the, the person in our way, but in fact, like, you're you like part of the it. healing. Yeah. You're, you're not listening to him. He just needs his beads so he can calm down. Aww. Like, this is how he processes his anxiety. Just, can I just pop in? Let me just give him a tray of beads and string. And I was like, he's going to be okay. So he's going to start using his hands. I was like, he literally just needs to be using his hands. (laughs) Just like, and they're like, and they go, and then like, and within like 10 minutes, 
he was sitting, he was chill, you know, <laughs> and the nurses okay. being like, this is amazing. Cause like, like <laughs> yes, amazing. But also I have questions, Cheryl. Okay. I need to know. I need to know for my own selfish reasons, but also maybe the, the listeners as well. What did you have on your magical cart? Like you mentioned beads, you mentioned <laughs> spring. I need to know what other items you had on your magical cart. Well, I mean, I had all kinds of stuff, uh, you know, obscene amount of paper. Um, I did printmaking sometimes, um, at the hospital, which would be kind of funny because you know you have these like little tiny pods, you know, and it's like a New York city hospital. So mm-hmm. it's like even tinier. And then you have, you know, all of a sudden somebody's like legit doing printmaking in the middle of like oncology and you go, they're I love this. like tucked in like every little corner and orifice. And <laughs> <laughs> I love um, this. <laughs> so, I mean, that would be some of it. Um, I mean, you know, it was different projects all the time. So I would have like, you know, inks, but I would have knitting and crochet stuff. I mean, I always tried to have a mix of stuff where it was like, if somebody, if I just needed to hand something off and somebody needed to independently start something, they could. But then if I was working really directly with somebody or really hands-on with someone um, on like a bigger project, but I mean, I did also did all kinds of stuff. I mean, I had people design tattoos to cover up their scars when like their bodies were ready to do that. Um, you know, I help people create books and stories of like their end of life journeys. That is Um, beautiful. You know, so, and it's a different way of processing. And I think, you know, unfortunately the, you know, creativity gets poo-pooed a lot, but I'm like, it's just a different way to process. Some people don't have words. Bingo. Oh my gosh, that's another gem right there. It's a creativity is a different way to process. Some people just don't have words. That is so true. Oh my gosh. And I wish it didn't wait until oncology. Honestly, I mean, that's sometimes a blessing where you get to see life in such a unique lens if you have that ability to process and learn that you're tapping into awareness you didn't know you had. But I wish we could give this gift to everybody and say, you know, sometimes we don't have words for these deep deep things. Do you have a favorite icebreaker phrase or anything that you would say to somebody as you're walking through? I'm imagining you, okay, like a candy striper, but not like almost like a, a Willy Wonka of art. Yes. Like you've just got this color. I'm imagining this, like almost like Mr. <laughs> Mrs. Frizzle. Like you've got all these things. <laughs> I can, I can hear it like jingling and like there's things and there's magical, you know, sounds and the paint is slashing and you're walking through these halls of the hospital. Just go with me here. I like my imagination. I'm just going to imagine this. And you turn into the rooms and you're met with somebody who maybe is a little feeling sad or not really into it, or you're probably, you're very intuitive. So I'm sure you're reading the room, you're sensing the vibe. Um, how do you, how do you kind of nudge them to just consider doing a fun project? Is there a favorite icebreaker question that you had? No, no favorites. Um, mostly because I mean, yes, I am very intuitive and I do believe that either something will crack and there'll be like a little glimmer and you may get into like a conversation. You may get like a little peak of interest and you may, you know, and it, and I think too, it's also recognizing people's nose and yes. also being respectful of that Absolutely. boundary. Um, now that doesn't mean that you don't try again. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> As the rule of multiple nose, you know? Yep. Right. Um, but you know, there's, 
it's always, it's always balanced, you know, and you can't force somebody. And that's literally the worst thing you could do when it comes to creativity, because people have been told their whole lives are not creative. They don't know how to make something. It has to look like something, right? There's all these boxes and it's like, and so sometimes it's like, you know, maybe you get a conversation and you're like, well, it's not about the end product. Yep. You know, or you're creating this psychological safety that needs to happen. You're helping their amygdala calm down a bit. And then they might maybe on your fourth trip go, okay, what you got on that magic cart? Or, well, what would happen if you tried it? Yes. Like, what's the worst thing that could happen? Like, sometimes I think, you know, I will say, I think I had an unfair advantage in the sense of like, I had some coaching background Mm -hmm. going, you know, that I had been working on while I was, you know, doing that work. Um, And so I think there, you know, there is that like people sometimes need you to like take what feels like their unrational fear and just put it in perspective and be like, here you go. I love that you're naming it. Yeah. You're putting that white elephant in the room. You're naming it saying, okay, so what's the worst that can happen? You make something that you never see again. And like, uh, like I've heard before create as if you're going to burn it, you know, just create it and you can burn it. And the worst thing is, oh, I wasted 10 minutes. Well, I wouldn't say it's waste. It's, it's processing. It's great. It's fun. It's play. Right. Yeah. And also like, would it calm your anxiety just to be doing something with your hands? Like sometimes people need you to peel it back to its most minute, um, purpose or thing. Right. Because everybody's just like, oh, well I failed art, which I mean, you hear over and over again. I failed art. Like <laughs> I'm like, okay, I yes. failed math. Like <laughs> and like I still have to do math. <laughs> like right. Oh my gosh. Yes. I failed gym class. Well, I didn't fail. I got a low grade. But you know what? <laughs> I still walk and I still manage to move my body, you know. And this is so key. Pe- peeling it back to the basic process of you're moving your hands. It's helping your anxiety, like like your big guy with the bracelets, you know. Um yeah. And he found his little, you know, talisman of, of just calming grounded activity. And that's so wonderful. What a gift. Yeah. Well, I think too, it's like, yes, there's high art and yes, there's low art and, you know, everything in between, but we have to also, we have done a disservice, I think, um, in a lot of ways, however, you want to look at this, um, where it's like, well, we have the artists and they're up on the pedestals and they're showing and they're exhibiting and they're doing all this stuff. And then if you can't do that, but I think this goes back to you talking about like Google and access and Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It's like, everything is, everybody's up on a pedestal with everything all the time. And again, we've lost play. We've lost fun. We've lost lost the vitamin J joy of doing the things that we're supposed to be I think we polarize life because of social media. We see only the Instagram beautiful food plates that have all the organic food. And we we see Michael Jordan and go, well, I just can't play basketball then if I can't be him or no, that's not life. It's not realistic. And I think the more we break it down, especially I feel like the pendulum hopefully will swing soon from now everyone's getting more aware of functional medicine, holistic, integrative, not now it's been there forever, but I feel like because of pandemic, because of other things, breaking things open going, Oh, 
yeah. low vitamin D levels can have an impact. Okay. Even though that's been proven a while back, but people are more aware. And now I'm hoping that pendulum isn't so extreme where I know a lot of my patients in green County, Wisconsin, where they're like, well, I can't do all those things. You don't have to do all those things. Like break it down now. No, one thing, one thing is so impactful. And then you build on those little tiny things right. and you get to a set point where you may not need all those things. And I think this trust that they have with their clinician to say, yeah, sure. I've got a list of things you could try, but it doesn't mean you have to be perfect. You know? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think because we have this fear base also, we, we don't do the things because they scare us and it, like it incapacitates us more yes. instead of us just being like, okay, but like do something every day that scares the shit out of you. Oh, yes. Just do one yes. thing. Pick one thing. It doesn't matter what it is. Like, oh my God, I ran around in my bare feet. Okay, fine. That's that your freak, your freak zone. Cool. Like your fear zone, like yes. go do it, you know, or like whatever it is. But like we have, we have completely gotten lost and, and we see it and you see it in healthcare. I'm sure I see it, which is like our, our clients, our patients, they get, they, they get stuck stuck they literally like go into like a free zone of but I can't do this change I I'm not going to get better you mm -hmm. know we like and there's this you know thing they practice that word the, the thought loop you know over and over so man that neural groove yeah. is strong they're like yeah I can't do it or they don't want to try because they're knowing I'm going to fail it's not going to work I can't do it and like you said yeah. they just get used to staying in their tiny little wor world their small world you know but just like you can't control the outcome of a painting as much as you plan it, I guarantee you, you could plan your piece of artwork to the T and 99.9% .9 of the time, it is not going to turn out yes. how you had it in your head. And it's like our healing journeys are the same thing, right? And so it's like, we have to start recognizing the parallels and that nothing oh. in this world, whatever it is nothing is in a box. Like it's and, not. Yes. Boom. Right there. Especially the, the anchoring of the masterpiece in your brain, like every artist or every musician dancer. I mean, you have the end product in your head, the ideal, but it's yeah. never going to be that. And that's okay. What you do is better than doing nothing. And I think breaking out of that fear, which is why health coaching and all these great modalities are so needed to give those tiny nudges and say, okay, well, let's break down that one goal you might have into a tinier chunk. Cause the more you do these tiny wins that gives your brain that self-efficacy, you know, back like, oh, maybe I can do hard things because it, it feels scary, but I did it, you know? And I think we just all need to take a dose of that medicine of just doing it scared. Like just try it, being curious about the outcome rather than planning, you know? Well, and if you're comfortable with fear or you're comfortable with what makes you uncomfortable, you start making more risks. Yes. Like you start taking them, you start challenging thinking more, you start critically thinking more, you start, you know what I mean? Like, and I think that's the thing, you know, I mean, even with like, um, you know, functional medicine school, like I had been eyeballing functional medicine school for four or five years and being like, Oh, this, I really want to go in this direction. Um, but, and feeling like, I didn't have enough of the background. I was like really questioning, like, am I smart enough to even do this? <laughs> like, really? Like, I mean, having my own sort of, you know, sure. like 
and but also like really knowing like I was ready and then the the pandemic hit and I was asking so many ridiculous like crazy questions <laughs> like literally every day I'm like but like and like this doesn't make sense but this was that but our immune systems are this like I mean I was just like in this like little like stuck in my head like pulling things apart and like and my wife being like Cheryl it is time that's awesome (laughs) you've been talking about functional medicine school for four or five years like it's time like all this is done is just reinforce like it's time for you to go do this work. And, you know, and I was still like a little like, okay, but what does that look like with my firm right. company and this and that? And like, I was having my own fear stuff. Absolutely. You, know? you were looking at outcomes. What am I going to, what's that going to end up like? And you know what? Sometimes right. we don't know. And it's that, that beautiful landscape of there's so much out there in functional medicine land that it, yeah. every journey is different and you don't have to do all the things you could take what you want from that and create your own new path. And that's what you're doing, which I absolutely am a big fan of. I think that's amazing. Yeah. Well, it was amazing because, you know, my wife, she, she, what she did was (laughs) stayed up till five o'clock in the morning one night that did every functional medicine school. And I knew as the school for applied functional medicine was at the top of my list. Um, I had a couple of friends who attended SAFM. Um, So I was already familiar. I loved the ethos of the school. Yes. Like just really was impressed and Tracy Harrison, I mean, just absolutely a mad respect for that woman. Um, so then I remember getting up the next morning and Nadia being like, here's the deal. All the deadlines are this week. Here are the top four schools. I think you would be great at, <laughs> and oh. you have two days to get your applications in. Wait, your wife did this for you. She researched yes. all of them. Oh, oh yes. Awesome. She went through every school and was like, literally put a foot in my butt and just shoved me off the ledge and was like go and I was yes. just like what we had just moved from New York City I was still kind of like a little crushed about like leaving New York and sure discombobulated I'm in this new place after 16 years and like you know Gotham and you know doing this whole thing and then I'm like okay and then I find myself like talking to these schools applying to these schools you know biting my fingernails off being like I don't, I don't know if I'm going to get into any of these. And ultimately, you know, SAFM, uh, you know, which was, I knew, I knew was where I wanted to be, um, you know, and then I think the shock of like, oh my God, I'm going to functional medicine school. And it's funny now, cause I'm like, you know, a year and a half in, and I'm like, I'm so glad I made this decision for myself. That's awesome. That is you know? awesome. And yeah. yeah, and for those listening out there, there are so many choices. And in my mind, none of them are wrong or right. It's really where you want to go or you feel pulled to go. Um, and I'm probably not even going to mention all of them here. I mean, there's A4M, there's IFM, there's SAFM, there's, I mean, so many different functional type medical schools. There's also integrative medicine, Andrew Weil, oh my gosh, uh, Western States, there's so many different things. So this is where we get in our own way as perfectionists. We want to know all of the different choices. And you know what? If you're listening and you're thinking, I'm curious, that's all it takes is be curious, attend one, one conference at one of the schools or look, spend an hour and just like do what Cheryl's wife did and just kind of research them and see what (laughs) you feel called to do. Because it is, 
it is a new world. It's it's a very unrestricted world out there, which can be dangerous. So make sure you are operating within your license. If you feel like you know you're called to be a health coach, or you're a physician and you're like, I want to learn more about this. There's room for everybody. There's room for everybody to learn and apply, which is why I like SAFM because they have the word applied in their title. Because I think sometimes we get very interested in the wide biochemical scope of this, which is fascinating, but not applicable when you're trying to work one on one with a patient. You just need small, tiny things. And that's accessible to everybody, which is what your mission is. You're like, I want to fill the gaps. I want, I want to bring this out there. And okay. You have to promise me if you do like an artist in residence in some kind of cool fermentation thing, I mean, (laughs) invite me because I'll be there. I'll get messy. I'll get muddy and I will paint whatever we need to do with the microbiome. I mean, this sounds amazing. Um, Cheryl, you're just so fun to talk to. And I'm very honored to have met you. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast. So I have one last question. How do you play? What do you like to do when you play? I think play just means for me, no boundaries around whatever happens. You know, so you know, open time, no definitive outcome, you know, just room to just be and sit into something. So, you know, whether that is, you know, DJing or playing music or making art or cooking or, you know, like there's lots of ways I think that, um, that can manifest itself. Right. Um, and I think too, it's just making time every day to do something creative. You know, it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be complex, you know, but just like being like, great, I'm going to go spend 15 minutes in my garden because I enjoy growing stuff or it's whatever it is for you, you know? And I think that's, you know, we don't make time for it. We make time for working out and you know, like a lot of basics, but we don't make a lot of space for just being. Yes. I I agree. The non-goal oriented activities that aren't, I'm working out my cardiovascular fitness or I'm putting this project together, you know, but I love this just being, yeah. yeah. And I'm so, thank you again for just being here. You've been so fun. I say this almost probably every time this is my favorite interview. And I don't mean, I just really though, it gets better and better. I, this is my selfish excuse to have a podcast so I can talk to brilliant people like you. And I can't wait till we share the room again. I'm sure we'll be in contact and we'll be in touch. I love it. So tell us if people are interested in reaching out to you, where can they find you? Well, you can find me at Cheryl Passwater um, and at contrabandferments.com. And then I also co-host a podcast called Peeling the Onion Podcast. Ooh, what a great, brilliant name. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Cheryl, for being such a catalyst. Yes. And I hope you have a brilliant, creative, fun, playful day. And we'll talk soon. Awesome. Thank you.